Brothers and sisters, what a joy it is to be able to worship the God who is worthy of all surrender. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet, my name is Paul Abdallah. I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at Stafford Baptist Church. Please stay. Our service doesn't end just with the benediction, but continues into our fellowship afterwards. I'd love to have the opportunity to meet you after our service. Well, this morning we'll be continuing in our series in Colossians, considering now Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 into chapter 4, verse 1. 3, 18 into chapter 4, verse 1. So if you have a Bible, please open there to Colossians 3. It will be helpful to have it open throughout the, the sermon as we'll keep continuing referring back to it. If you don't have a Bible, you can find uh, one of the pew Bibles there in the pew rack in front of you. You can find Colossians 3 at the bottom of page 984. Colossians 3, chapter eight, verse 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. Our homes serving Christ. Before we read through it, let me lead us in a prayer once again for the reading and hearing of God's word. Father, we thank you for your word. May the word that we hear this morning be a word fitly spoken. Father, may it meet us where we are. Father, may your word lead us to see Jesus exalted in the heavens to see him humbled at the cross, to see him ascended where he sits next to you even now as king ruling over this new society that he has created. Father, we surrender all that we have to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. Knowing that you also have a master in heaven. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Is there a difference between authoritarianism and authority? Is there a difference between authoritarianism and authority? Or does all authority just boil down to authoritarianism? That is, does all authority become enforced in such a way that it has no concern for others and used for their harm? Well, I want us to examine our hearts if, if that's what we believe about authority. So consider in your life, how do you respond to authority? When others are given authority over you, do you tend to distrust them? Do you doubt them and their competency? 
Are you naturally suspicious of those in authority? In our world, in our culture today, this is the natural standing of many. Many are naturally suspicious of authority. In fact, it goes as far as to say that when you say authority, many think of authoritarianism. And so we, as the church, need to consider authority and its right use. We need to do so not just on a a larger scale, but personally in our own homes. You see, each of us are faced week after week, day after day, with those who have been given authority to make decisions to lead us. Whether it's in the office, in our gyms, in our churches, and yes, even as we will see today, Paul says, in our homes. And it's this natural suspicion of authority that makes passages like Colossians chapter 3, what we just read, difficult. We see words like submit, obey in everything. Hasn't the Apostle Paul just told us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, that we are all one in this new society that Jesus creates? That's what we read in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. If you just look up a few verses, Paul writes, Here, in this new, this new group of people, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Why then? Is Paul writing to bondservants and telling them to obey in everything? Why is he telling children to obey in everything? Why is he telling wives to submit? Why isn't he just leveling the playing field all the way? I think this is Paul's point. In this new society that God has created through Jesus Christ, God doesn't undo the order and authority. He doesn't pronounce all authority as evil but rather radicalizes how we use and respond to authority, even in our homes. We are all one in Christ, and yet there is a godly order under this new king, Jesus. So we are not to forsake responsibilities and order and authority, but rather we are to serve the Lord Jesus, even in our homes. That leads us to our big idea this morning. If we were to summarize these nine verses in one idea, I think this could be a good example. Serve the Lord Jesus submissively and selflessly in all your earthly responsibilities. Serve the Lord Jesus submissively and selflessly in all your earthly responsibilities. As those who are now primarily citizens of heaven in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul has been telling us. Even in back in, in verses 1-4 through four of Colossians 3. He's telling us that our life is hidden with Christ. We are citizens of heaven. And yet here, we still live in earth. And in this new society, we're not to rebel against all authority. But to live out our new reality. And particularly here in the home. Paul will give three pairs of people that would have made up a, a normal Greco-Roman household. Wives and husbands, children and parents, bondservants and masters. Each of those pairs has one who is, who is to submit themselves under authority and one who is given some authority. And for those under authority, they are called to serve the Lord Jesus submissively, willingly putting themselves under the authority of others for their good. And those who are given authority, Paul says you are to serve the Lord Jesus selflessly, To love, to encourage, to be fair in your use of authority. And in both realms, Paul says, we are to serve the Lord Jesus. We have a new king. 
We're not serving other people. We don't serve ourselves, but we serve Jesus, who is the supreme and sufficient Lord. And so Paul says, serve the Lord Jesus submissively and selflessly in all your earthly responsibilities. We're going to consider this passage, working through the the six roles, one by one, that Paul outlines. And each point, we'll consider what is being called to in that role, why we're being called to that, and then how we can pursue that. But before we get into it, let me give just a preliminary thought to help us understand the whole of the passage. This is, I understand, to be a difficult passage, even maybe a struggle to put into our lives. So let me just say at the beginning, what marks this whole passage and the relationships of this passage is the reciprocal nature of this new society that Jesus gives. The reciprocal nature of our relationships in this new society. So through our union with Christ in his life, death, and resurrection, we are made alive together with Christ, Paul says, and we are brought into this new humanity, this new society that God has created. And a defining mark of this new society is that relationships are reciprocal, that there's a mutuality in our relationships, that each party has an incumbent responsibility, and each are responsible to do that. So for the Apostle Paul, there is an order in the home, That goes back all the way to creation and continues into new creation. But how we live in this authority is now reshaped through our faith in the gospel. Paul will even list in each time the the submission, the submissive positions first. They are of priority. In this new kingdom, those who submit are not any less citizens. They are not second class citizens. And in each of the positions that have authority, Paul is is radically changing what authority looks like. In this new society, relationships are reciprocal. Relationships are reciprocal. Well, with that in mind, let us turn to the first group that Paul, Paul the Apostle speaks to. He speaks first to wives. And I will speak to wives and subsequently to each group individually. So I will speak primarily to wives as we talk about wives, primarily to husbands as we talk about husbands, and so on and so forth. But it's beneficial for all of us to hear what Paul says. This letter would have been read in the, in the, the whole congregation. Well, let's look down. Verse 18, in wives. Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Wives, submit. The command to wives is simple and straightforward. Submit to your husbands. It's one of those examples, though, of something that's easy to say, but hard to do. This is not the only place in the Bible where we see this command. Just to highlight a few, you could write these down. Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7. Titus chapter 2, verse 5. This is to help us see that this is not just Paul's command here to the Colossians in particular, but it was the the pattern for how Christians, how Christian wives in particular, were to live with their husbands. This command to submit is then given a motivation, as is fitting in the Lord. The idea is, is that wives are to submit because it befits one who is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. One who is now united to Jesus through faith. Submission is rooted then in our submission to Jesus. It's not rooted in the cultural norms or mandates of that time. 
It's not rooted even in, in gendered psychology that, that God ordered this because this is what women are better at doing or worse at doing, and so they need to do it. No, Paul is rooting this in the gospel under the lordship of Jesus. Rebecca McLaughlin says it this way in Ephesians chapter 5. She says, Ephesians 5 grounds our marital roles not in gendered psychology, but in Christ-centered theology. And that's what I just want to be abundantly clear of, friends, wives in particular. The call to submit is not grounded in what, in what your uh, psychology of your gender or in what the, the culture says you should do. It's grounded in Christ. It's what's grounded in this new creation. It's fitting in the Lord. So what then is submission? Well, as we consider what submission is, it's helpful to, to think about first what it is not. So let's clear out some of the misconceptions and then we'll bring in what I think is Paul is calling us to. First, submission is not mere obedience to your husbands. Submission is not mere obedience to your husbands. Look at what Paul says. Wives, submit. For the other two categories of, of those who are submitting themselves, Paul uses the word obey. Paul chooses here with wives to use the word submit rather than obey. So wives, to submit does not mean that you are just robotic in your obedience to your husband. He says something, you do it. Husbands. This means you cannot just command your wives to do whatever you want them to do and point back and say, see, you have to submit to me. It wouldn't go well for you. And it's not what God intended. It's not just mere obedience. It looks different from the relationship of a child to parent. The relationship to a husband and wife is a different sort of authority. That authority is used in a different kind of way. So uh, submission is not mere obedience. Secondly, Submission isn't always agreeing with your husband. Submission does not mean that you don't think for yourself and you just agree with whatever he says. This can't be it because Peter in 1 Peter 3 will tell wives to be subject to their husbands who may not even be Christians. Which means certainly they will not agree on everything. So being submissive doesn't mean that you always have to agree with your husbands, that you just become a doormat, so to speak. Third, submission does not mean that you follow your husband into sin. If submission is fitting in the Lord, Paul says, then it cannot mean that you just follow him into sin. Sin is not fitting into the Lord. So for example... If your husband wants to lie on a tax form to get you all a better refund, you do not have to agree to that. That Submission is not agreeing to that. A more day-to-day example might be, in, in my case, I love when I get home after a long day to just tune out. I want to pull up my phone. I want to put a, a TV show on, on for the family and just so that I can kind of be in my own head. And that's okay every now and then, but Tori submits well to me when she says, hey, Paul, that's dangerous. Why don't you put your phone away for a little bit and we can have a conversation with one another. So submission is not following your husband into sin, but rather it is warning him when he is dangerously close to sin. So submission is not just mere obedience. It's not always agreeing with your husband. It doesn't mean following your husband into sin. So what then is submission? 
Well, submission is a voluntarily, voluntary willingness to put yourself under your husband's authority, to joyfully follow and encourage his leadership of the home, to rejoice when he takes initiative, to warn him when he's approaching spiritual danger. Paul, in Ephesians 5.33, will get at it with this word of respect. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 5, verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So be submissive is not to be a doormat, but it's to have a joyful respect of your husband. There's a place then, wives, for good conversation, for disagreements, and certainly, I want to be abundantly clear that, that there is a place to remove yourself from situations where your husband is violent and abusive. And we're going to speak very clearly to the husbands in just a minute about how they are to love. This is reciprocal. But even when the husband fails, wives, your overarching attitude is to have respect for your husband. Now, this is certainly not an easy thing to do. So how do we do this? Four encouragements for wives as you seek to submit yourselves. First, pray. First, pray. Paul says, as is fitting in the Lord, I think this is a uniquely spiritual work. If you find submission hard, if you find it hard to submit yourself to your husband, pray that God would help you to do this. Pray through passages like Colossians chapter 3 or Ephesians chapter 5 or 1 Peter 3. Read them and pray again and again that God would give you grace to be able to do this. Pray personally and also pray with your husband. It's okay to tell your husband, hey, I'm struggling to submit in this, in this area. Can we pray about that together? This is a good practice for those of you who are not yet married but long to be married. Start with prayer. Pray that God would bring about a man into your life for whom it is easy to trust to and submit to. Pray. Secondly, pursue. Pursue other women who can help. Pursue other women who can help you. I love Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, which give us this instruction. So listen to Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. So sisters, if you are struggling to submit, find an older woman who can teach you, who's been at this for, for longer than you have, and ask them, how, how do you do this? How do you handle disagreements? How do you, how do you submit even when it's hard? And sisters who are older, more experienced, shall we say, find younger women who you can help and lead into what it looks like to submit. You have a, a really important role, Paul says in Titus 2. Your role is to teach and to train. We need you. My wife needs you. I'm a difficult person to submit to. She needs your help. I don't mind saying that, Tori. So pursue other women who can help you. Third, this one comes from my wife herself. Preach the gospel to yourself. I asked Tori, what what is a P that, that you think about helping women submit? And she said, 
first thing she said was preach the gospel to yourself. And I said, I didn't have that in there, but now I'm putting it in there. <laughs> preach the gospel to yourself. It is not easy to submit, but Paul says it is fitting in the Lord because Jesus willingly submitted himself and now calls the church to submit to him and in our homes for wives to submit to their husbands. Sisters, submit, reminding yourself of what we've sung, that Christ is enough for you. You don't need power and authority. You you don't need a, a perfect husband. You have a perfect Savior. And so remind yourself again and again of this Jesus who is enough. Fourth, persevere. Your husband will fail. You will fail. Don't give up. Let me encourage you just to continue to persevere. If you fail, confess it and rest that the work of Jesus covers our failings and get back on the horse, so to speak. And continue to constantly have an attitude of humble repentance and and submission and respect and and persevere. Keep pursuing your husband. Keep correcting him when he goes off the tracks. Persevere in your submission. There's lots we could say. There's an article that I, I printed out for us on the back table where the the other books are i would encourage you women to to grab one and read it it's a it's a it's a encouraging article but we need to move on so we move from wives paul says then to husbands husbands love husbands are called to love your wives look at down at verse 19 husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them So just as Paul is radical in his motivation for wives to submit, Paul is radical in how, his, how husbands are to use their authority. Brothers, yes, you have been given authority in your home. God has given you a position in your home, in, in your marriage, in which he has given you authority. But he has not given you that authority to prop yourselves up. He has not given you that authority to make yourself feel good. But to humbly love and selflessly serve your wife. That is what the call to love is, right? It is to love as Christ has loved us. Paul in Colossians has already made a big deal out of love. He said in verse 14 of Colossians chapter 3, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So all other virtues that we are to put on find their summary in love. What does it look like, husbands, for you to love your wives this week? Well, it looks like selflessly giving up of your own desires and preferences for the good of your wife. This is what we see in Jesus, giving up of himself for our good. This is what Paul tells husbands in Ephesians 5, that as we would care for our own bodies, we are to lovingly care for our wives. I have to put aside my desire to sit on the couch and go to the gym to take care of my own body. And in the same way, I need to put aside my desires to care for my wife. Husbands, this means that your natural state in life should be one where you are deferring in the arena of preferences. That more often than not, you watch your wife's favorite shows and not just what you enjoy. That you eat at her favorite restaurants, not just at yours. It does mean that where the Bible is clear about how you ought to live, that you stand firm on that. You stand in the truth of the Bible and lead your family to stand true on the truth of the Bible. But where there's an opportunity to defer, be willing to defer. Your, your wife may get to the point where she wants you to make decisions and make those decisions, but have the attitude of being willing to defer on preferences. 
to love your wife is to do everything possible on your end to make it easy for your wife to submit. And I think that's what Paul gets at at the second half of verse 19 when he says, do not be harsh with them. It is do not embitter them. Let me just say at the, the front, brothers, it is an extremely repulsing sin to be harsh with your wife. To in any way use your God-given authority to harm or be harsh with your wife in voice, in tone, and especially in physical nature is a repugnant, repugnant sin in the eyes of God. There is no excuse for it. So Paul says, do not be harsh with them. It also means that we need to be aware of what we're aiming for. If we're aiming at just having a wife who is submissive and we idolize that position of respect and authority... We're going to be harsher in how we deal with our wives. But 1 Samuel 23 verses 3 and 4 tell us that the right use of authority is for the flourishing of other people. And so the use of authority that God has given you is so that the sun might shine forth on a cloudless morning, that that the, the rain might make the grass to sprout. It is to cause your wife to flourish. To love is to use your authority in such a way that your wife is able to joyfully submit to you. Well, how do we do this? Once again, four encouragements to husbands. First, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Your first love, brothers and sisters, brothers particularly, and sisters, it's true of you too, your first love is Jesus. If you're going to do this well, brothers, if we're going to love our wives, we must first consider how the Lord has loved us. So how's your devotional life? How are you pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ day after day? Perhaps you're here and you want to be married. You're a brother who longs to have a wife. How are you today pursuing the Lord? How are you seeking Him? Don't wait until you're already married to start saying, Oh, I need to be spiritually intentional now. Seek Him now before you're in a relationship. So first, seek the Lord. Secondly, seek your wife. What I mean here is that you to treat your wife as an equal. She is a co-heir of Christ with you. And so she is not your subordinate. You are to cherish her. So think about it, brothers. How well do you know your wives? Do you know what she enjoys, what she doesn't? Are you helping her day after day feel loved? Are you not just telling her that you love her, but are you helping her feel loved? Do you know her preferences and her desires and what makes her tick? Let me encourage you this week to pursue her, to seek her out, to care for her, ask her good questions, take her on dates, surprise her with her favorite things, enable her to do the things that she loves and rest in. Seek and know your wife. Third, seek to serve. Seek to serve. Serving is often a significant way that you and I can make Submission, a joy. So this week, try saying some of these things. You can put your own nickname in. I just put some nicknames in, but you can put your own nickname in. So try saying some of these things this week, brothers. Darling, please let me clean the dishes tonight. Sweetheart, and this one's for me primarily, today I'll change all the dirty diapers. My beloved, I'll cook dinner tonight. Because I was running out of nicknames. Oh, you who my soul loves. 
I can wash and dry and fold all the laundry tonight. Brothers, serve your wives. I don't know what it looks like for you. I don't know how she's best served in your home. It might be a great car ride conversation home to ask her, how can I serve you this week? Serve, seek to serve, and finally, seek spiritual intentionality. Seek spiritual intentionality. Brothers, are you spiritually nourishing your wife? In the last month, have you read the Bible with her? Have you prayed with her? Have you had a spiritual conversation of any sort with her? It won't look the same in every relationship. Maybe reading the Bible together is really hard and it feels awkward. So are you encouraging her to read? Are you telling her about how, what you're reading and how that's encouraging you and helping you follow Jesus more faithfully? We need to be spiritually intentional with our wives. Brothers, if we want our wives to joyfully submit to us, we need to show them that we are pursuing the Lord. So that as they submit to us, really they're submitting themselves to Him. Well, there's much to say, but we must keep moving. Look down at verse 20. Children, obey. Children, obey. Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So kids... This point is for you primarily, whether you are four or whether you are 21 and still living in your home. This is for you. I want to start first, kids, by saying that you are not second class citizens in the kingdom of God. When you trust in Jesus, you become a part of his body. You are made just as much an heir of the kingdom as your parents are today. Now it'll look different. You'll have different roles and responsibilities, Paul says, in the home and in the church. But just know that Paul acknowledging you here in verse 20 means you are not second-class citizens. Paul expected you to be at the gathering, hearing the word of God taught and heard. But what is your responsibility, kids? Well, Paul says your responsibility in the home is to obey your parents in everything. Now listen carefully. Obey your parents in everything. Yes, everything. There's no exception. We don't get to obey only like when we feel like it, when it's easy or something that we enjoy. God says in his word to obey in everything. Now who are the kids who must obey? Does this mean that I, as an adult child, whose parents are still alive, but I have my own family, do I have to obey everything my parents say? I'm not going to look over there. She probably is nodding yes. I would argue no. I don't think so. I think a good way of describing who is this text is talking about is by saying kids equal those who are under the provision and protection of their parents. Those who are under the provision and protection of your parents. So if your parents are still the primary providers of what you eat, of what you wear, of where you live, if they still provide your protection, then that means you have the responsibility to obey in everything. So that even if you're technically an adult, you should defer in a submissive and obedient way if you still live with your parents. That's a general good rule of thumb. There are, it looks different, and I'm not gonna, I can't get into specifics, but a general good rule of thumb is that even if you're a technical adult, but you're still living with your parents and they're still primary providers, provision and protection. I think this is for you. 
so that if your parents tell you to take out the trash as a 19-year-old, you should take out the trash. If your parents tell you at five years old that you should clean up your toys, you should clean it up. And in the background of all of this is Paul's understanding of what we read in, in the Heidelberg Catechism, question 104, of the fifth commandment. So let me read Exodus 20, verse 12, the fifth commandment. It says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And so I just want to encourage us who are adult children, no longer under the provision and protection of our parents. It is still a good attitude for us to have of honoring our parents. To acknowledge that while the relationship changes, to honor them is right. And again, note how Paul grounds this command in verse 20. He says, for this pleases the Lord. So kids, you don't obey because it makes mom and dad happy. You obey because it makes Jesus happy. He delights in your obedience. And parents, that means that when you talk to or encourage your kids, especially those who have professed faith, it's right to encourage them by reminding them that Jesus delights in, your, in their obedience. But it's a good reminder to stop and say, we cannot actually truly delight Jesus apart from his help. To be able to truly obey in the way God is calling children to obey here in this passage, you need to trust in Jesus. You need Jesus to give you a new heart. Apart from that, the Bible says you won't want to obey or you won't obey for the right reasons. You need to be made new. You need grace. You need to know that you're a sinner. And apart from Jesus, you cannot please God. But that God sent Jesus to live a perfectly obedient life. To die on the cross. To rise again so that if you believe in him, you can be made new. And with that new heart, Paul says, obey in everything. What does obeying in everything look like? Well, let me give you this phrase, kids and parents. Kids, you should obey right away all the way in a joyful way. Obey right away, all the way in a joyful way. Obey right away. When your parents tell you to do something, listen right away. Don't wait. Don't try to finish what you're doing first. Don't keep playing the video game, pretending that they, you haven't heard them. Rather, obey. But it doesn't just obey right away. It obeys all the way. So if your parents tell you to do something, do all of it. If they tell you to put away your laundry, put away every single piece of clothes. If they tell you to put away all your toys, don't just put away some. Do it all the way. And finally, do it in a joyful way. True obedience is not reluctant obedience. It's not Oscar the Grouch obedience, if you would. True obedience is joyful obedience. So kids, when your parents ask you to, to clean up, Remind yourself of how God has been gracious to you to give you all of these things that now you have to put away. Remind yourself and have joy. How do we obey? We obey right away, all the way, in a joyful way. And parents, you should use that phrase. It's not mine. I found it on Google. So I'm giving you permission to use it. Obey right away, all the way, in a joyful way. And parents, you can and should help your kids do that, which is where we turn in verse 21, starting, in, look down at with me at verse 21, fathers restrain, fathers restrain. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I think the idea of verse 21 is that we are to make it a joy for our children to obey us. We do not want to discourage them from obedience, 
But we want to be able to encourage them to make it a joy for them to obey and follow us. One important question that we have to answer exegetically is, is this limited only to fathers? And I want to say no, I don't think so. I think Paul is primarily talking to fathers. And this is an important point because dads, you have the responsibility to lead your homes. You have the responsibility to take the lead. So just as husbands have been given some authority over their wives, so too dads, you've been given authority to lead your families. But the point is more widely applicable because not every family unit has a father. And this is not every family unit has a mother or a father. So this is applicable to any parent or guardian who, is, who has children in the home. The idea of not provoking or restraining from provoking is, is not to stir your kids up to a stubborn, rebellious attitude. Dads, we don't want to discipline in such a way that our kids have no desire to please us. That they just think it's impossible to please my dad. And so I'm not even going to try. No, we want to uh, 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 discipline and teach and instruct in a way that is encouraging them to continue in their obedience. So how do we do that? First, we need to remember your aim. We need to remember your aim. Paul Tripp says this is our aim in parenting. He says it this way. The goal of parenting is not control of behavior, but rather heart and life change. The goal of parenting is not the control of behavior, but rather heart and life change. So parents, especially dads, you need to remember your aim. Your aim is not just to produce faithful citizens in this world. We want to do that. That is, that is a fine aim, but that is not the ultimate aim. Your aim is to see those who were born dead in their sins become alive again in Christ Jesus. Your aim is to, say, to recognize that God has given you an inexplicable gift to bring little sinners to your doorstep or hopefully inside your house where your children live. To brought them right to you so that you can encourage them and teach them about the gospel. So this means day to day as you remember your aim, it means that you're going to recount the gospel story again and again to them. That the primary story they're going to hear in your house is not finding Nemo, but it is how God found us in Jesus Christ. It means that you're going to live in such a way that, your kids, that you show your kids that you love Jesus. This is why, for those of you who don't have kids, why we encourage parents to bring their kids into the service. Because we want our children from a very young age to see That we love Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus is is not some grumpy kind of obedience, but it is a delight that sings Christ is enough, that sings I surrender all to him. It means, dads, that you root your discipline not just in correcting behavior, but in the gospel. When you're correcting sin, you're telling them of the way to find forgiveness. It's not just correcting their behavior. No, they need to trust in a savior. That their sin is not just against you, it's against a holy God who will judge them, but who also sends his son to stand in their place. So parents, you need to remember your aim as you parent. Secondly, you need to rejoice in your kids. You need to rejoice in your kids. Parents, do your kids know that you love them? I heard my daughter say yes, that's encouraging. You need to celebrate their wins. You need to laugh with your kids. You need to get down on the floor and play with them. 
And if you've got no energy, lay down on the floor and become their jungle gym, which is what I do most evenings. Let your kids laugh at you. Let them tickle you. Have fun with them. Rejoice in them. Let them know that you love them. That you don't just say it, but you're in there with them. That you're enjoying them. Finally, rest in your Savior. Parents, you will fail at this. You will at at times be too harsh or not harsh enough, firm enough. So be intentional, particularly dads, to confess your sins to your kids. When you get angry, go to your kids and humbly apologize. I heard this from another pastor who says, you should give your kids opportunity to point out sin. Ask them at dinner time or at bedtime, hey, has there been a way that that I sinned against you today? Was there a way that I hurt you? Let's make that right. And by doing that, you're not only cultivating an attitude of humble repentance and humility, but you're cultivating an attitude where you're directing your kids where to go when they sin. You're telling them to go to Jesus. Well, as Paul moves from the family institution now to bond servants and masters, these, these would have been people still in the home, a part of the household that day. It's right for us to consider what Paul says. So look down at verses 22 to 25. Bond servants obey. Bond servants obey. Paul says, bondservants, obey in everything, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. You might be using a different translation from the ESV. Most other translations probably read something like slaves obey in everything. I think the ESV's decision to translate as bondservants is is helpful in reflecting what Paul intended here. So what Paul has in mind is not probably what we think of when we think of slavery. When we hear slavery, we think of the evil atrocity that was the transatlantic slave route. The one that enslaved one group of people based on their ethnicity. And that is a horrible evil. But what Paul has in mind is something closer to indentured servanthood. I think the ESV translators in their preface are helpful here. So listen to how they decided to use this word, translate this word. In New Testament times, a doulos, which is the word here, is often best described as a bondservant. That is, someone in the Roman Empire officially bound under contract to serve his master for seven years. And when that contract expired, the person was freed, given his wage that had been saved by the master, and officially declared a freedman. So what Paul has in mind is, is not slavery as we would have thought about it, but this idea of indentured servanthood. And Paul's inclusion of bond servants helps us to see that in no way did Paul endorse any kind of, of a slave institution, but he's radically Christianizing it. These, these bond servants were expected to be at the gathering, to be listening to, the, to the, the word preached, to be sharing in communion. They were equal citizens in the kingdom of God. They were not slave or free, Paul says, but they were in Christ. And yet even bond servants were not to forsake their earthly responsibilities. But they were intended to see them drastically informed by this new reality. So just look at how it's drastically redefined. So it's not just obey... But it's obey earthly masters. They are reminded that they have a heavenly master, one who reigns high and above, one who rules as king. They are not to obey just as eye service. 
right? Just, just so that when people see them, they know that they're obeying. But they are to obey with sincerity, fearing the Lord. They work for the Lord and not for men because they know that they will receive a heavenly reward. That ultimately they serve the Lord Christ, who is their great master, who has no partiality and will judge perfectly one, those who have done wrong. So this obedience was radically redefined. Excuse me, radically redefined. This service was radically redefined in the gospel. Well, what does this mean for us? I think two points of, of contact here. First, in our jobs. While our jobs are quite different experience than what bond servants experienced, they are connected. So in your jobs, brothers and sisters, you are to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But I also think it's just general in our service. Whether it's in our homes or in our jobs or in our churches, we are to remember that we are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I think verse 24 is a wonderful summary of all that we've seen so far. That our primary service, whether we're wives, husbands, fathers, or children, is to Jesus Christ. Look down again at verse 24, the the last few words. You are serving the Lord Christ. He is the Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord of creation and new creation. And He alone, Paul has already told us in Colossians, can deliver us from all of our sins. And so... We need to have this Christ-centered mindset as we serve. Friends, do you realize that the gospel touches every part of your life? That there's nothing left outside of the gospel's reach? Well, what does Christ-centered service look like? A few observations. First, serve diligently. Serve diligently. Paul says, obey in everything. Friends, be diligent. Don't make excuses. Beware of distractions. Obey in everything. Be diligent in your service. Go the extra mile. Don't just do the bare minimum what's required of you. Serve with diligence. Secondly, serve sincerely. At your job, do you only work hard if your boss is around? What do you do if your boss isn't there? Are you still diligently serving? Don't just work hard when others are watching you. Paul tells us that we work not for the eyes of men, but for the eyes of the Lord. With sincerity of heart, fearing Him. Because He sees, and He will judge. To serve sincerely. And finally, serve for a heavenly reward. Brothers and sisters, don't just work for a paycheck. Work for the reward that is yours in in Jesus Christ. Paul knew that these servants would be paid at some point at the end of their service. But he tells them, don't work for that day. Work now for the heavenly reward that is to come. So brothers and sisters, work with the confidence that you will share in an inheritance that's far greater than any earthly paycheck that you can receive here and now. Serve diligently, sincerely, and for a heavenly reward. There's more we could say, but as we conclude, look at Final verse of our section, Masters, chapter, chapter 4, verse 1, Masters, be fair. Paul writes, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Just as the bondservants are re- reminded that the, they have a uh, heavenly master, so too masters are re- reminded that they are not the highest on the authority hierarchy. So friends, no matter how high up you are on the the hierarchy in your job, there is one who is higher. There is a master who is in heaven. 
And he gives authority. All authority in this world is derived authority, Paul says. All authority is derived authority in this world. So as you use your authority, are you just and fair to those who are under your authority? In your jobs, are you willing to give up privileges that that are yours from your position for the good of those who are underneath of you? We need to remember that God the Son humbled himself. That the, the CEO of the universe, so to speak, came to earth. Not just to see how things were going, but to humble himself to the point of death on the cross. That masters too are to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he served us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That he took the punishment that we deserved. So that if we believe in him, one day we would rise as he rose from the dead. And it's this good news, brothers and sisters, that transforms how we fulfill our earthly responsibilities. If like me, in preparing this, you feel overwhelmed by the amount that we're called to, that in all your different roles, there there are so many ways that you need to be living and caring and encouraging, and you recognize that you're probably failing in an area in all of them, Brothers and sisters, let me encourage you to look to, look to the one who has redeemed you. Look to the one who has already paid for your failings to remember that you serve the Lord Jesus because he has already served you. And be empowered by the good news and the work of your spirit to work out your own salvation as God works it out in you. And make it your prayer that the Lord would take your life And let it be consecrated wholly to him, so that you might serve the Lord Jesus submissively and selflessly in all your earthly responsibilities. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that as we've just considered what this new society in our homes looks like, that you would take our lives and let it be wholly consecrated to you. Father, we pray that in our roles as wives and husbands, as children and parents, as workers and employers, that, Father, we would see Christ to be enough. And that as we look to him who is enough, we would serve submissively and selflessly. Hear our prayer, O God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, having heard God's word this morning, we will respond in just a moment by song. But before we do, take just a moment to silently reflect on what you've heard. Maybe you need to confess where you've not been serving submissively or selflessly. You need to ask God to help you. Rejoice in God's forgiveness and let your life be wholly consecrated to him. Take a few moments to silently reflect and we will go from there.